Good morning, everyone. I want to get started because this is a, a full um, performance that's coming up. I imagine people will continue to come in. Even as I'm speaking, you might want to read down through, through the screen here. I won't, I won't be reading that one. But welcome to Campus Worship. This is a, today we have a unique, um, unique worship experience. It's engaging with a theatrical performance with themes of faith and ethics and theology in the context of violence um, would ask that to honor the spirit of worship and engagement um, that screens are away for this the next 50 minutes i'm i'm guessing you can handle that um, if you need your screens out for some form of accommodation that's understandable and i'd like to introduce our actor al staggs Al made a name for himself in high school with his ability to do impersonations. Drafted at 19 during the Vietnam War, he was fortunate enough to spend his time with the Army and Special Services touring and performing for troops. Now entering college, Al's plan was to pursue a career in acting. Nonetheless, a call to pastoral ministry led to a changed course with Al pursuing seminary and chaplaincy training following college graduation with a degree in psychology. Any psychology majors in here? Raise your hand. We've got one, Al. And anyone who went to seminary in here? Some of us, yeah, a few of us, yep, yep, yep. All right. He served as youth college, young adult minister, music minister, senior pastor, hospital and hospice chaplain through the years. And at some point along the way, Al discovered he was able to wed his call to ministry with his love for the performing arts. And in 1988, his first dramatic one-person stage play, this very one that we'll experience today, although this is the 50-minute version rather than the full version, a view from the underside, the legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's performed this very play all over the United States and Canada and Europe, and today here on this stage at EMU. The setting, this setting for the play is a prison cell in the final hour of life for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So let's welcome warmly actor Al Staggs and this performance. is about to drive me mad. Oh, if there was just someone with whom I could speak. Someone with whom I could share what it is to be in this place. Oh, dear God. Dear God, it is not that I do not realize that you are with me. But how I wish there was someone here with whom with whom I could talk. Oh, dear God. Dear God, help me. (sighs) 
I know what I shall do. Yes, <laughs> I, I shall speak to the future, believing that somehow, some way, you will convey to them just what I am feeling and thinking. Yes. And so now I speak to you, those of you who represent the future. I would want you to know, first of all, I, di I did not come to this place as a result of some accident or a stroke of fate. Oh no. <laughs> My being here is a direct result of a decision I made when I was <laughs> 14 years of age. It was at that time that I informed my parents that I intended to pursue a career in the church. <laughs> my mother and father really had very little to say in response to my grand announcement. <laughs> oh, but my older brother Carl, the skeptical scientist, the atheist that he is, responded with a great amount of vehemence upon hearing my decision. He said, Dietrich, why? <laughs> why ever would you want to waste your intellectual ability, your intellectual prowess, on something as dead and as backward as the church? <laughs> well, I recall saying to him, Carl, if the church is dead, then I will change it. Oh, 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 oh I, had, I had no idea, no idea at that young age just what my announcement was going to cost me. How can I begin to tell you how I came here? And how can I possibly explain to you well, to your satisfaction, how I came to be a part of that, uh, that conspiracy against Adolf Hitler. You see, in order, to, in order to explain that, I would first have to be able to explain the unexplainable, that is, how could a nation that could boast of sons such as a Beethoven, a Goethe, a Martin Luther, how could that nation commit atrocities? Tell me, how could a nation that could boast of literally centuries of Christian history, how could that same nation commit genocide. Well, did, did all of this occur because the Bible was no longer being preached and taught in our churches? No, no. The Bible was still being preached and taught as faithfully as ever. But the problem was not in the preaching and teaching of God's word, no. The problem was in the application of those truths and that ethic 
to the real issues of daily life. For the church in Germany, how shall I say this? The church in Germany hmm, has become so spiritual that it has allowed the earth to go to hell. Oh, I can just imagine some, some, some pious person standing in front of me presently, probably a minister, and asking me a question such as this. Well, Pastor Bonifat, do you not believe in a literal hell? <laughs> I would say, oh yes. I most certainly do. But I believe we Christians have either created a living hell for many people right here on this earth, or we have allowed it to exist by our apathy. You see, my older brother Carl was sadly correct in his assessment of our church these days. Oh, yes. Yes, you, you see, the church, the church must come out of her, her stagnation and move out into the open air of intellectual discussion with the world. Listen, and risk saying controversial things if we are ever to get down to the really serious problems of life. For the church of Jesus Christ was was never intended, listen, to be on the outside of the village in some safe, secure little haven. No, the church of Jesus Christ belongs right in the middle of life's village. Right where the crises and the challenges and the questions and the dangers of life occur, in the middle of life's village. Well, you see, the church is only the church as she exists for others. And it is for that reason, I will say to you with a great amount of sincerity and conviction, I think the church should sell all of her property and give the proceeds to the poor. There, there is this strange phenomenon occurring in our nation presently. And, and what is the phenomenon? Hmm? Well, as best as I can relate it to you, it is this. Do you know it is getting increasingly difficult to be able to distinguish any difference whatsoever in the two allegiances that every Christian in Germany has, that is, the allegiance to the kingdom of God on the one hand and the allegiance to the state on the other. Why, for many Christians in Germany, well, these two are exactly one and the same thing. What I'm trying to say is we in Germany are rendering to Caesar some things that only belong to God. I mean, isn't the first great commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me? 
And yet the situation has become so acute. Here is what has occurred. Many of our leading German pastors, in their attempt to demonstrate their ultimate allegiance to the fatherland, and in order to agree with Hitler, many of these leading pastors have taken the national flag, the swastika, and they have draped their sanctuaries with that flag. Some have even gone so far as to put that flag on the altar. Listen to me. Listen. No national flag belongs in any church sanctuary anywhere in the world. Why? It's quite simple. Oh, yes. You see, whenever you start doing that, you can be quite certain of one thing. The purposes of the kingdom of God will be co-opted by the purposes of the state. Mark my word. The church, oh, the church confesses her, her timidity, her evasiveness, her dangerous concessions. The church has been untrue to her office of guardianship and to her office of comfort. And thus she has denied to the outcast and to the despised the compassion which she owes them. Put it another way. The church has failed to speak the right word in the right way at the right time. She has just, she has just stood by, just stood by while violence was being committed under the very name of Jesus Christ. And so you see, it is, it is the church that is guilty guilty of the deaths of the weakest and most defenseless brothers and sisters of our Lord. Oh, I can hear you complaining. I can hear the protests. I know you are saying, oh, Pastor Bonhoeffer, we have had enough of your diatribes against our dear church. Surely you have something good to say and you we are weary of hearing all of this negativity. And I, I would want you to know that what you are hearing is coming from someone who is from within the church, even a leader in the church. Perhaps, perhaps I can explain my struggle by telling you about a nightmare that I have all too often here in this cell. And the nightmare looks something like this. Very early in the morning I will be awakened by what appears to be a kind of mural on this wall of one of our great cathedrals in Germany. 
Oh, and in front is the minister in his long flowing robe. And then the back there, there is a choir of 200 or more voices. And they are singing the great hymns and anthems of the church. And there's a kind of horrific paradox on this wall. I see a ghastly image of the death camps we good Germans have created. And they are just, just staring at me, just staring at me of the hollow eyes of those victims. Oh, and what I hear, what I hear is a terrible cacophony of sound for I hear coming from this wall. I hear the great hymns and anthems of the church and at the same time I'm hearing the cries and the moans of the victims. Oh, listen to me. Only those who cry out for the Jews may sing the Gregorian chants. Only those who cry out for this world's victims may be allowed to sing those hymns of faith. God of grace and God of glory, on thy people pour thy power. With thine ancient church's story, bring her bud to glorious flower. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the facing of this hour, for the facing of this hour. Amen. <sighs> Hmm, this prison cell is a pigsty. It really is. Ah, you would think someone would come in and give me a little assistance here, but no, to clean it up myself. Ah. What? What? A cockroach in my cell? No, 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 no. Do not leave, Mr. Cockroach. You are the only living visitor that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has had today. I am honored by your visit. <clears throat> tell me, tell me, would you, would you care to discuss a little theology? <laughs> no? Huh? Uh, see, about philosophy. Oh, I should have known. Uh, I do, let me tell you, I do envy your freedom. Yes, you, here you run to and fro from cell to cell with great abandonment while I, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, am relegated to this one cell. Life can be so unfair. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Hmm? Get on out of here. Go on. Go on. You and your freedom. 
You anger me. Go. Go see my parents. Tell them that their son is stooping to talk to cockroaches. <laughs> that way they'll know that I'm not taking my plight too seriously. Oh, and while you're at it, go see the Fuhrer. Tell him that there is still one power greater than himself. That ought to do a lot for his paranoia. <laughs> oh, look at this, look at this. This is, I mean, this is not exactly what I had intended to do with my education, no. And I can assure you, my mother and father had far more planned for their son than to become a prisoner in his own nation. But do you realize, I have learned lessons here, <laughs> lessons that I would never have learned in a uh, seminary. I've learned lessons here I would never have learned in church. One of those lessons that has really struck me is this. I've been amazed at how I find myself responding and reacting to so-called religious types. You know, people who use a great amount of religious jargon. I mean, I don't seem willing to talk with those people. I mean, I mean what could I possibly tell them that they don't already know? But around people who do not seem religious, you know, I can often speak of God in a very natural way. It seems that religious types often invoke the name of God whenever human resources fail or, or whenever human knowledge comes to an end. Or who knows? Perhaps it's simply because they're just too lazy to think. <laughs> Another lesson. Another lesson. And this one has amazed me. I have discovered that even, how shall I say this? Even in the most serious of situations, there is always an element of humor. I'll show you what I mean. Quite often, I will be sitting here playing on my piano, playing a Beethoven sonata. And one, on one occasion, I was minding my own business, playing a Beethoven sonata, and I could just feel a pair of eyes looking at me through that guard door. And finally, I stopped playing. I said, Oh, what's the matter? Am I playing the piano too loud? <laughs> Perhaps it just needs to be tuned, huh? I, I thought, look, if Ludwig Beethoven can play music without hearing it, so can Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There you have it. Oh. <sighs> it's letter writing time. My dear friend Eberhard, you recall that before I mentioned to you 
the Jewish question. It is my firm belief that the expulsion of the Jews from the West means the expulsion of Christ. For Christ was a Jew. November the 9th, 1938. The night of crystals. The night of terror. Crystal knocked in our nation when we Germans destroyed so many Jewish houses of worship. And that occurring, <laughs> that occurring in a nation which has so proudly and historically sung that little Christmas hymn, Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht. Do you know, I will never, never now sing that little Christmas hymn without first thinking of Kristall Nacht. Well, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We're fighting today for costly grace. And, and, and what is cheap grace? Grace, it's, it, that's grace sold on the marketplace like cheap Merchandise, grace without price, grace without cost, grace without discipleship. <sighs> My dear friends of the future, how I wish I could stand here today and be able to say to you in all honesty that I always possessed great faith and that I never, never doubted. Hmm. The truth is there are questions which assail me almost daily, questions for which there are no simple or easy answers or resolutions. The first question, where is God in all of this? Hmm? I mean, when it does appear that might does indeed make right. When so many millions of people are being persecuted and murdered, and when the most insidious and pernicious forms of evil are made to look like piety. I ask myself, where is God in all of this madness? Okay, second question. Second question. Who are God's people after all? And you may say, well, it's the, it's the Jews who are God's people. We all know that from the scriptures. Well, if you say to me that it is the Jews who are God's people, answer this for me. 
Why is it then, why is it then, while so many of his children are being murdered, it does appear at times that God is standing in heaven with his arms folded in apathy. And you say, oh my, that's a terrible thing to suggest. And you being a minister, how could you say that? And surely you know, Pastor Bonhoeffer, why, why it's, it's Christians who are God's people. Oh, really? So if you say to me, with all confidence that it is Christians who are God's people, I have a question for you. Answer this. Why is it then that so many of those who usher little children into gas chambers call themselves Christians? Are we God's people? <laughs> oh. Third question. Third question. Hmm. I wonder if my I wonder if my fiance Maria will be able to visit me again. A few months ago, Maria von Wedemeyer, my fiance was able to visit me in my prison cell. And she wrote a letter that managed to be smuggled back to me after her visit. And in the letter she said, Dear Dietrich, I've just come from visiting you in your prison cell recently. And after I returned, I made, I took a piece of chalk and made a line in my room to depict that dimensions of your prison cell. And I've been spending a great amount of time in that place. I wished I could see Maria. Well, this, this prison cell is getting smaller and smaller. It's not by accident that it's getting tinier and tinier. I know. I know what the guards are doing to me while I'm asleep at night. They, they are sneaking into this cell. And you know what they do? They are whittling down the dimensions of my prison cell ever so slightly. And they think that I am not aware of what they are doing. Who do they think they are dealing with? And I know what they're planning for me. I'm going to wake up one morning and I'm going to be in a prison cell so tiny and confining I will be unable to move and barely able to breathe. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. For you see, I have learned a secret that helps me transcend whatever size cell they put me into. 
And what is the secret? Remembering. Just remembering the experiences God has allowed me. And when I begin to reminisce and to remember, I usually begin with the years 1930 and 31, when I studied as a postdoctoral fellow at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And there, oh, I had the privilege of studying with America's preeminent theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr. And as important as Professor Niebuhr's influence was upon my young life, there was one other person during that year who was to have an even greater impact upon my life. And it was the person, it was the person of Frank Fisher, a black man, a fellow Union theological student. Fisher took me and introduced me to the hidden side of this nation that was so proud of her piety. Fisher introduced me to Harlem. He introduced me to racism. And it was through my friendship with Fisher and worshiping at his church, the Abyssinian Baptist Church, dead in the middle of Harlem, that I came, I must tell you, I came to the most radical and profound idea of my entire life. And here it is. For the first time in my privileged existence, I began, I began to look at life from a totally different perspective. I began to look at life from the perspective of the outcast the reviled, the suspects, the prisoners, the oppressed, in short, from the perspective of the poor and those who suffer. And I can tell you this, that, that new perspective has been most relevant and comforting to me. Well, now that I am a powerless prisoner, of the Gestapo. Oh, and when I walked into that Abyssinian Baptist church and heard them singing, I thought, there is what I am missing. <laughs> For it seemed as a good upper-class German, I had my cognitive cup filled full while my affective life was in relative atrophy. Oh, those spirituals, those spirituals. And what I heard them singing was music in a minor key. I thought, what a contrast to the liturgy of white churches in New York and to my German liturgy, which seemed to have an exclusive proclivity for the major key only. And I thought, the minor key must reserve, be reserved for people who really understand suffering. Those spirituals. Nobody knows the sorrow. Nobody knows the truth. 
trouble I've seen. Glory, alleluia. I feel more a part of that black church than ever before. Then there was 1933. 1933. Could you possibly, could you possibly explain to me how that could happen? How could a nation that was so technologically advanced, so culturally astute, so Christian in her orientation, how could that nation allow a maniac such as an Adolf Hitler to take control and then to maintain control for 12 agonizing years? I have my theories as to how this can occur. First, you must understand, Hitler promised a restoration of the national economy. Secondly, he promised renewed respect for Germany among the nations of the world through intense militarization. Thirdly, he promised to vigorously fight the Bolsheviks. And fourthly, he promised to restore traditional moral values to German life. Fifthly and finally, he promised us security. Oh, and how we Christians in Germany worshipped at the God of security. While we allowed the systemic evil of genocide to eat away at our souls like a cancer. And do you think God is going to hold us guiltless? See, Christians in Germany face a terrible alternative. We really do. I mean, we either work for the victory of our nation and thereby destroy civilization, or we work for the defeat of our very own nation and hopefully preserve civilization. Then there was 1939. 1939, my American friends, many of them knew that I had already not been allowed to hold, to be, meet with people, to preach, to teach class, to even have a small meeting. So they invited me back to the United States to become a lecturer at Union Seminary. And I was in New York for just a few weeks and I was walking through Times Square and suddenly something hit me. And I began to be extremely depressed. And I realized I was in the wrong place. So over, over the protest of my dear American friends, I made the decision to return to Germany. I said, look, I will not be able to participate in the restoration of my homeland if I'm not there in their hour of need. And shortly after returning to Germany, I made the decision to join 
the conspiracy. Oh, I know what you must be thinking and asking. How could you, a minister, how could you become complicit with to be aligned with something as violent, as so unpatriotic as that? Explain it to us, Pastor Bonhoeffer. I don't know that I can explain it to you satisfactorily. You see, Christians in Germany face a terrible, terrible alternative. Not to speak is to speak. Likewise, not to act is to act. What that means, really, if I am standing in the doorway of my household in front of my family, and I'm watching a person, my neighbor, being persecuted, and I say to myself, well, they're not bothering my family. It's none of my business. Oh, yes, it is. You become, you become complicit with the violence. You think you are simply observing. Not to act is to act. I believe, I believe the philosopher was right in saying, all it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. You see, silence is the friend of the perpetrator. And I searched and searched and searched and searched for a metaphor, an example to help to guide me ethically, and I finally came up with this, as poor as it may seem, and it is this, that if there is a madman who is on the street driving his motor car, running over helpless pedestrians, it is not enough for me to simply pick up the victims. I must get the madman off of the street. That is a great deal of the reasoning, rationale for my joining. Oh, what are we going to say? What are we Christians in Germany going to say for our faith now that, now that we have persecuted and murdered nearly an entire people or, or we have just stood by silently, safely while the victims have gone to their deaths. Oh, this place is so maddening. I tell you, it is so maddening. I think sometimes I'm going to lose touch with reality. And not that that would be bad, you understand. Losing touch with reality in a place like this would be quite comforting. Thank you. But there is one symbol that keeps me riveted to reality. And it is the symbol of the cross. Well, you see, the cross is laid on every person who would dare to call themselves a Christian. Oh, it's not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. No, it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. For whenever Christ calls any person, he bids that person to come and to die. Yes. Yes. Yes, I am prisoner of Bonhoeffer. What? Yes, yes. Yes. I see. Please give me please give me just a moment, please. Please. 
This is the end. But for me, it is the beginning. Come now, thou greatest, to feast on the journey to freedom eternal. Death cast aside the chains which too long have bound us, the walls of our bodies, so that at last we may see what here remains hidden. O freedom, how long we have sought you in discipline, action, and suffering. Dying, we may now behold you revealed in the Lord. We're deeply grateful for this, the legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we want to offer to you an opportunity to connect a bit. Um, Al will stay right here if you want to come up and chat just a little bit and ask about the, the work, the art form, or questions. Maybe you're, you're now curious about knowing more about um, Bonhoeffer. And also, if you want to talk theater, faith, ethics, all of that, the context, will be in the cafeteria at a table um, from 11.30 to 1.30. You could just come for a bit and, and leave. Just look for a few of us there. Thank you once again. Thank you. And we're dismissed.